0: Welcome to the Win Daily Show. Today I got a special guest. His name is Ian Harditz. Ian, you've kind of worked in this industry for a long time. NFL expert. I go to you for my plays, I'll be honest. I always got to see that helicopter report come out on Twitter. So talk about how you got started, where you got started, and where you're at now.
1: Yeah man, appreciate you having me on. So pretty much my whole life, you know, time I was little, just it's all been around football. I got a letter from Bill Belichick in my room where I was sending him plays when I was like eight years old, trying to suggest things he could do with Troy Brown, you know, to do something different. So it's always been the game of football for me that I was obsessed with middle school, high school, got into college, uh, playing, playing football. Wasn't anything too special. I was a division three linebacker. was never going to the league or anything like that, but love the game. And you know, I, after I got my my second concussion, I, I knew I wasn't going pro decided to, you know, take care of the brain and just go do something else in my life and uh yeah so once I quit the game lasted about a mo- about a month before I just missed it you know I had a whole bunch of time in my hands I never considered what I was really going to do after it but I just knew I wanted to get back into football so um I went to, I went to school uh you know pretty just competitive college in general uh, University of Chicago so I knew I had uh just kind of research credentials and you know it's going through a bunch of finance stuff I knew how to research I knew how to uh, do different things with Excel. I knew, even though I couldn't write yet, I knew I could potentially help people uh, sort spreadsheets and things like that. So, you know, I used to read every single football article I could find. I mean, I remember Bleacher Report, you know, slideshows, whatever. I read every single thing I could find. And at some point, I just got to thinking to myself, like, I think I can do it better than these guys. You know, when I, you know, you're know you reading something and you just, you're just consistently kind of finding issues with whatever you're reading. And, you know, kind of like Kanye said at one point, if, if you can do it better than me than you do it. So I just felt like taking that chance about seven or eight years ago, I just started emailing every single writer I could find, Uh, you know, internships, just asking, it, lending myself for free, saying, hey, you know, I can research for free. You're a writer, you already have your audience, let me give you a spreadsheet of ideas that already have the research done should make your life easier. Barely anyone ever emailed me back, I must have sent 50 of these things. And only guy that really got back to me was Jonathan Bales. He's a Founder of Fancy Labs, awesome guy. He did over 2,400 push-ups a couple of weeks ago. So he's, he's got a lot of things going uh, for him in his life. But pretty much first year, I did nothing except send Jonathan, you know, spreadsheets of ideas and stuff every single week. And after that, you know, I kind of proved my worth. He got me going with some different things, and he let me start writing on my own, which was great. And, you know, I don't have a journalistic background. I pretty much learned how to write just from reading a bunch and a bunch and bunch of articles and kind of deciding what worked best for me and what worked best for others. But I mean, it's also just doing that consistently. I mean, I've now been, you know, coming up with ideas, researching ideas, writing ideas, you know, coming out with this process every single week for pretty much the last seven or eight years. I mean, even when it's off season, when it's April, when it's May, June, there's no football being played, but there's unlimited variables we can study and do. So, you know, getting in with Jonathan, doing things for him. When he started Fantasy Labs, was in there, worked companies like four for four just a grind, man. I mean, look, I had to do some baseball things along the way, some back-end things along the way, some, hey, Ian, we have six hours of uploading this crap that people that are more successful than we didn't want to do. Happily signed up for it. Luckily, now I don't have to do as many of those things anymore, but uh, it was just how I got to where I am today. I think it was a mix of loving football and realizing that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That you, you shouldn't necessarily not do something just because you don't want to do it that day. You know, try to keep the long-term view in mind. Uh, you know, I didn't worry about working for free because I knew that the if I did a good job, if I achieved my goal of what you know, I was trying to do there, there'd be paid opportunities down the road. So every situation is different. You know, this has worked out pretty well for me. With that said, there's still, you know, plenty of people out there and I'm still chasing. So uh, you know, it's just – I'm trying to be the best football analyst in the game, fantasy football, regular football, whatever. I've been trying to do that now for the last seven or eight years. We're not there yet, but I think we're getting closer. So,
0: Listen, you dropped a lot of knowledge. What I took from just that is you used to send letters to Bill Belichick as a young kid, which I thought he was awesome. <laughs> kind of like me, baseball was my first love. And once I knew I couldn't – I wasn't going to become a major league ball player, I shifted over to having fun in college. And then from there, it was the entrepreneurial in me that was always about to break out. So when I saw Daily Fantasy Sports pop up, DraftKings, or fan that I heard the commercial, I am like, this shit was made for me. Like, you're, you're putting competition, sports, and money and business all in one. And, you know, I, I started on the opposite. Well, on the opposite, and I'm like, I just got to start playing. Learning, learning, willing to lose money. And in my book, I wrote, like, there's nothing like playing Daily Fantasy Sports where you're putting in 50 hours of research a week minimum, if not more, you're putting your own money up and then you can easily lose. And to put in all this, like you just said, willing to work for free because you know what's going to happen in the long run will pay off. Like in DFS, it's not only working for free, you could potentially lose money doing (laughs) something. So it's like you're going to work for a week, you're putting in all this work and then you got to pay your boss to work there. So it's the same kind of, ideology and mindset, but we both have the same vision in mind that, you know, you keep working at something and you put so much passion behind it and you're not looking at it short term. Like when people approach me, I give everybody an opportunity these days. If someone says, yo, I want to write, all right, show me what you can do. Write. Send me an article. Let me check it out. Okay. I'll put it up on the site. Send me another one. See what the opportunity is really about. See what they're about. So I always know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I want to surround myself with a guy like yourself in the NFL get a mirror image of you for MLB, for NBA, so you can all teach me how to dive in. So, But your mindset, I didn't even know it going into this interview that would be so connected to similar mindsets, but you have it, dude. You put the work in. You're not short-minded. I always ask people, are you in this for short-term money, or do you want to build a platform and build your name and build your brand within the industry? And the people who say, I need to get paid this much for an article. I'm like, I don't think this is the right fit for you. Even though I can afford it, to pay him $10 or $20 an article, it's not going to last. It's really not going to last if you're not doing it for the right reason. So if you came up to me, you know, seven years ago, I would have gave you the opportunity, but I didn't have the business and we didn't know about each other, but that's the right mindset in life. And you can take that to anything and you can pivot right now. If you wanted to pivot to the, the best esports analyst in the world, that's all <laughs> we have right now. I'm sure that same mindset you'd be in the top 10 somewhere after a couple of weeks. Um, so it's very similar to me. Let's talk about football for a second. And I've been following you throughout your career, but this past year you kind of just hit me with something that I got to talk about these helicopters, <laughs> where did these helicopters come from. What was the idea behind the helicopters? Cause I noticed it. I'm like, the hell is this helicopter? And then I see the play <laughs> and I just disregard it. Then I'm like, yo, Avi, yo, like my guys work for me. I'm like, you see this guy, you know, he's dropping his helicopters every week and some way, somehow. This random dude, number two or number three receiver, goes off for like one twenty and two touchdowns. I'm like, we gotta <laughs> start playing these guys. How did this start?
1: Oh man, the helicopter. So I owe that to the Los Angeles Chargers Twitter account. Actually, it was Week One of this last year, of this last season. And I was just all over Deshaun Jackson. I think he was like forty three hundred on DraftKings or something ridiculous. It was just like every single thing was perfect for the guy. We knew he was starting. We just got paid a shit ton of money. They needed a field stretcher. We knew he was going to be out on the field. We knew Wentz was healthy. He was playing the Redskins, who have a bad secondary. Josh Norman one of the slowest starting cornerbacks in the league. Revenge game to Sean Jackson is like one of the greatest things we've ever seen over the last couple of decades. And it was just everything lining up from D-Jax, you know, because, again, DFS, you know this as well as I do. You can know all, all you want to know about the sport, but you also got to know pricing bankroll. There's so much that goes into it and just on field, but everything was set up for Deshaun Jackson. And I'm sitting there on tweet deck in the morning news rolling in and you know, I always send out a bunch of tweets in the morning to kind of, you know, we, we write so much during the week. If there's more information that I've written, that's cool. I want to get it out one last time, sending out Sunday morning. So just wanted to pound in Deshaun Jackson as much as possible. I see the Chargers Twitter account send out a helicopter and says like just dropping in to say, you know, we got some deal that expires at noon or something. And I was like, Ooh, I like that helicopter. So went ahead and uh, copy pasted the helicopter and said, just dropping down to say Deshaun Jackson's going for a hundred plus and two touchdowns today. Well, the guy freaking did it and uh, went ahead and I think rolled it back with Hollywood Brown. Didn't work out. Went with Curtis Samuel, kind of got there halfway, took a couple of weeks off and then when people started really realizing it, we had a four-week stretch. It was like Derrick Henry, Marlon Mack, Golden Tate. Uh, someone else got there, and it, it was hitting a lot, but it's a little, like the helicopter play, it's just it's meant to be a really, really good GPP play that I think is going on the radar. You know, I'm looking at projected ownership. I never, it's I try to always leave out anyone that's top five projected ownership or projected points. That's easy. Anyone can say Saquon Barkley is going to have a really good game when he's facing the Panthers or something like that, but You know, it was guys I was looking at that I was going, okay, check, 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 check. Why is more people not on this? So, you know, trying to figure it out. Yeah, sometimes you look like an idiot. I said Kenny Galladay, you know, even though Stafford was out, was going to have an awesome game. He didn't. Next week he does. But, you know, I said the wrong week. So I was wrong. So it is what it is. You know, we're all going to be wrong on stuff. But, hey, if you really believe in something, make your point known. And I found that, you know, when I really believe in something, if I want people to really see it, You put a helicopter out there, people tend to pay more attention.
0: (laughs) Nah, smart, man. Really smart, creative. I can't can't figure out Twitter. Twitter is something I'll never figure out, but the helicopter definitely works. I'm assuming you're bringing it back, or maybe you're bringing bringing something stronger, a tank rolling through this year, something like that. (laughs) But I like to play. Now let's talk about NFL research from a DFS perspective. Um, And I also want to know, what's been your biggest DFS hit? So answering a two-part question, but like, when do you start your research for the week? I'm assuming you started on Monday or Tuesday. And what is your process? Because out of all my sports, I'll be honest with you, NFL is my my least profitable sport. I think there's so much variation. If I had one fantasy superpower, it would be to get into the coaches' minds because I never have an idea of what they're going to do. Because if, if I did, I'd make a lot more money, but I don't. Because they're looking at the same stuff we're looking at, and – the coaches are looking opposite of each other, so they know they got a weakness. Outside of the Arizona not being able to cover a tight end for like the past <laughs> three years, everything else is like a free-for-all for me. Like I really don't – I don't see things so clearly from week to week. I'll have a couple of great weeks in DFS, and I'll have a couple of weeks like, what just happened? How did this happen? Yeah. And the variation that happens in the NFL is, is tough to stomach week to week because, like I said before, you're doing a whole week's of research And then you're sitting there all Sunday just like, why did I just do this to myself? Why did I go all in on this player? And he just completely shit the bed. So what is your research process? What's been your biggest week in DFS? And how do you get into these coaches' minds to really separate the noise, all the talk, and all the the stuff that you think is going to happen? And then, you know, these guys did it. Tampa Bay running, oh, we're going to start this dude. He's going to be the guy this week. (laughs) And then he doesn't even get a touch. Like, how do you get through all that?
1: It's really 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 hard man and it's such a small sample size like that's the biggest issue at all of this we have a 16 game or 17 week regular season for the NFL you know take 4 years of that and we got 68 games that's still not even one full NBA or NHL season so it's makes sense if i mean some some of the best DFS players in the world I'm sure go entire stretches of an entire NFL season and not really make much money cuz you're you know, especially if I've always been more GPP. I just haven't been a cash player all that often. I'm getting to it more, but you just got to live with the reality that, you know, you're going to have, you got to wait for that spike. And when, you know, 10 weeks roll by and you haven't had that spike, it's incredibly frustrating. But I guess my way of uh, kind of learning the process and getting through it. So I mentioned before, you know, working with Jonathan Bales, like, look, I'm not Jonathan Bales. I'm not CSU Ram 88, I'm not one of these DFS guys that just has won millions of dollars over the year, but I've worked incredibly close with them throughout my entire time. I've been, I've been in the freaking industry. So, you know, I tried to combine everything I know about DFS in terms of, you know, salaries, trying to get the value there, balancing ownership, uh, kind of, you know, not chasing price increases from the week before, try to chase guys that have a major decrease in salary, taking guys that are cheaper relative on DraftKings, the FanDuel, you know, getting more exposure at different sites to help get you get you value over there. I try to balance everything I've learned with that with, again, just my pure love of football and everything that goes into that. And that's kind of where, you know, I think my articles are a little more unique because I do try to add both those things into everything I do. But basically, from the time, you know, Sunday, usually like I wrote a world we all have to do blurbs throughout the games, uh, kind of talking about, you know, usually 10 or 12 blurbs from each team, even the backup running backs and stuff we got to mention what they're doing, usage and all that. But once that stuff wraps up, I use uh, NFL Game Pass condensed games. They're usually about 35 to 45 minutes. And between Sunday afternoon, night, and Monday night, I get every game watched from the previous week before. I really pay attention and track uh, better ball touchdowns, uh, nullified touchdowns, um, drops, things that really just don't pop up on the stat sheet that could go overlooked. you know, a wide receiver could have five targets, three catches, 20 yards. And if all you do is look at the box score, you're going to say that guy sucked. But maybe two of his targets freaking were bombs that he just missed. Before Wolf Fuller's three-touchdown game this last year, he had, like, two just complete bombs where he had broken wide open and Watson missed them. I mean, people, you know, joke about Curtis Samuel and his air yards. Like, there's a reason why Josh Herzmeyer's air yard mo- model has been so predictable. Guys that are getting deep targets down the field, they're going to hit at some point. Again, follow the opportunity. Don't necessarily chase – you know, okay, A.J. Brown, yeah, he's a fucking baller. Like, good for you, A.J., but it's really hard to predict when guys are going to get three or four targets if they're going to turn into 100 yards and a touchdown. So you're going to be wrong on that. There's going to be times, like you said, where a coach says this. I am remember Bruce Arians finally, like week 13, Ronald Jones is our guy. He's earned the job. Ronald blows the pass protection, first drive of the game, and doesn't touch the ball Done. the rest of the week. And, you know, there's going to be people out there, after you touted Ronald Jones, they're going to come at you and say, what the heck, man, you're an idiot. But you just got to, again, try to stick to the process and just try to cover every single thing that you can. And I have found that, you know, Twitter can be an unruly place. People aren't always the nicest. But in my experience, at least, you know, I really do try to think out everything I'm doing, give, you know, the possible positives and negatives. I I have found that people are generally uh, nice when they come back. My worst call of last season was fading Rashad Perryman. Which sounds so weird to say. That was my worst call It's it's been so right for years. But you know, it was after Goblin and Evans were out, and I was just like, it's Perryman. How can Brashad freaking Perryman be chalk? It's Brashad Perryman. James is quarterback, the guy was gonna get 10 plus targets. You don't fake guys getting 10 plus targets, no matter what you, your preconceived notions might think about them. So, you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect. I'm trying to learn every single week, but you know, through my articles, I truly believe like just the process of writing articles, it forces you to really organize your thoughts and kind of, I've learned to kind of chase the the questions that pop up in my mind, but throughout the week, you know, I'm starting uh, next year, a quarterback article that will go on Monday. It was kind of three quick facts about quarterbacks, trying to kind of figure out home away splits, how they, uh, you know, work when they got lofty spread. Uh, you know, dual threats, all that running back report, you know, the days of having workhorse running backs are pretty much gone. There's only three or four guys in the league that play 80% snaps. So every Tuesday I release an article that goes through every single backfield, breaking down the committees. Um, also doing that can help in season long in situations where, you know, we were talking earlier um, previously about this Memphis running back Antonio Gibson and how even if he hasn't had the true experience as a three down back, he has the rushing ability, he has the receiving ability to theoretically be a three-down back. Knowing what backups have that in their skill set to eventually be that guy is huge because we see all the time on, like, the biggest values in DFS end up being running back gets hurt, the backup's like 4,500, and he usually becomes a lock button in cash. You know, sometimes those guys do inherit the 80% snap roll, and they have 20-plus touches, and you need to lock them in the lineups. Other times, they're actually in another committee with someone else they haven't even earned the coach's trust, And they end up, you know, being 40% owned and not doing shit. So there's that. I've been writing wide receiver cornerback breakdowns for three years. I mean, look, people really want to say, like, defenses don't matter. Running backs don't matter. It's just lazy. I mean, those notions at their core aren't wrong. The idea that running backs don't matter just means that there's more than 32 very good players on this planet that you can plug in. There's no need to pay a lot for one when you can get another one cheaper. And the idea that defenses don't matter I think is just more of a notion to like our ability to judge them well enough for it to matter is in question. But in my opinion, like if you're just going to ignore that, that's ridiculous. Try to get better at it. We might not know enough right now, but if we keep looking at it week after week after week, we will, you know, I have found success with wide receiver and cornerback specific mat, uh, matchup data where look, there's only Stefan Gilmore, Darius Slay are pretty much the Jalen Ramsey only high-frequency shadow cornerbacks that chase dudes into the slot. So, you know, I'll be reading someone's analysis on a wide receiver, and it's like, oh, you want to fade him this week? He's facing Patrick Peterson. That's a terrible matchup. Yeah, it might be a bad matchup, but if the guy plays half his reps in the slot and he's not even going to see Peterson, you know, that's fine. And that's when we can use that to our advantage, and we take a guy that's only got 3 or 5% projected ownership, know that he's got a better matchup than the public thinks, go on from there. So, Wrap it all up. I got a cool article I like called a, a mismatch manifesto where I actually combine defensive and offensive uh, stats, pace, uh, pressure, things like that. Cause look, every time we talk about anything in football, it's like, why is this a good matchup? We say, Oh, it's a great run blocking offensive line facing, you know, a 32nd ranked defensive line, but it's always two stats. You don't just have one way stats to kind of help show matchups. So that's kind of what I attempt to do there get nice charts, uh, explosive plays. I found it to be a really useful kind of uh, big picture uh, kind of uh, blend of league. Because sometimes we get so nitty-gritty with this specific running back and his touches, we don't look at just, oh, look at this game where the Packers are home favorites against the Redskins. They're going to freaking maul them. So um, a lot of things you got to look at. Again, I'm still refining the process myself. But I think at the end of the day, it's just about trying to get as much information, as much actual information, into your head, organized, and yeah, and that's why, look, I spend, I try to do at least one piece of content every single day of the year for NFL. Not saying I do, but I I get pretty close. I do a lot more than most people out there, and I still have so much more I need to know about the sport, the game, EFS, all that, so, you know, if you're breaking in the industry, you need to do different sports to survive, I get it, but I just think the faster you can really hone in on what you're good at, what you're best at, you know, if you can help, if you can let that hopefully help you rise to the top or whatever you're doing, that's going to be great. Cause I mean, I, I, I tried doing MOB. I tried doing MBA briefly and I just knew there were people out there that knew so much more than me that were doing it four year round. I mean, there's just no way for someone that's only going to focus on the NFL for five or six months out of the year to compete with someone like me that's doing it 12 months of the year. It's nothing against them. It's just, a, a, it's just a reality. Sure. If you're a DFS, amazing person that, you know, is making, six figures in all these different sports, you know, kudos to you. You're crushing it. I I have nothing to say about that. But you know, if you're one of these analysts out there, writers trying to break through, I think sometimes the idea that you need to have all these different skills, all these different sports is a bit overrated. It's good to be versatile. It's good to show you can do different things, but if you can be great, I would much rather be great at one thing and then above average at five. things.
0: No, I agree to that. To be an expert, they say you got to be putting around 10,000 hours into something to become an expert and i probably put 10,000 hours into dfs i definitely did it in dfs definitely did it in probably each sport but not to the level of where you took it you know with your nfl analysis the research that goes into it so i consider you an nfl expert now when it comes to season long how have, do you play more season long than than dfs and then what's your approach for season long as far as like drafting players and we have, we have season-long people who listen to this podcast. Who are the guys that you look into snipe, you know, mid-round or either early rounds that you already start to see their ADPs are rising and you want to fade them or guys that are kind of down below that you want to attack?
1: I'll just draft Calvin Ridley in every single fantasy football league of all shapes and sizes this year. Uh, in general, I, I think um, I'm pretty well split between DFS, season-long, and best ball. After last year, best ball is actually my most uh, profitable of the three, and it it just all comes down to opportunity again. And you know I've said this before, but yeah, just chase opportunity, not talent. So why why am I going with Calvin Ridley? You look at the Falcons' offense from the last four years; it's been a jumbled mess. Julio Ridley, Sanu, Devontae Freeman, Austin Hooper, all these good pass catchers, consistently good offense. We just didn't know who's get the targets. Every like I think Ridley's had eight or more targets in like ten or eleven games. He's literally been like a top, I like, think, fifteen fancy wide receiver in those weeks and all but one or two of those games. He's been incredible in the volumes there. He was a first round receiver. The only negative anyone's ever had about Calvin Ridley is that coming out of college, we, he was like 23. So, you know, we, we, we're calling this young 20 guy like an old man that's like still hanging on to him. So news gone. Cooper's gone. Freeman's gone. Ridley is going to absolutely eat this year. And I think he's literally like 20, 2020 Calvin Ridley is 2019. Chris Goblin. It's a talented wide receiver and an offense that lost key contributors that is still very explosive, still very good, and the target should be there. And, yeah, I think it just, you know, in general, just keep chasing that opportunity. Uh, Season long, I would say in all forms this year, uh, just really be careful about rookies. In general, we overvalue rookies because we spend February through April obsessing about these players that aren't even going to, you know, necessarily be on a good fit. I would, I would argue 50% or more of a player's, you know, eventual career production is going to be heavily tied to where they land, the scheme they're in, the coaching fit, how all that goes. And, you know, it's just be careful. There's nothing wrong with, you know, following college football, following these prospects. But I just think people get in trouble when you're number three wide receiver on your big board falls to someone in the fifth round and you know, you're know you still holding on to them when you got other factors, you got new information. There's new information that you need to strongly consider and historically, pretty much anyone at any position that gets drafted outside the top three rounds, at least as a rookie, like not much is happening there. Sure, we have our Philip Lindsay exceptions over the years. We can kind of see those exceptions start to merge in preseason. Like again, there's there's things like preseason football. That's another one. Everyone says preseason doesn't matter. Preseason absolutely matters. Do the final scores matter? No. But you're telling me when the first team offense is out there, you don't care like about the usage of anyone? That's ridiculous. So don't just ignore will, – willfully ignore information just because you think it doesn't matter, this or that. Usually it does matter. When people say that it doesn't matter, it's usually just them trying to, I think, make themselves feel better about being lazy with it. I'm not trying to be harsh with – too harsh with it. But I'm one of those
0: guys, man. I'm one of those guys <laughs> lazy with the numbers because sometimes I feel like this NFL is such a tough, tough battle, and there's so much variance. Um, give me your takes, though, on a couple hot topics going on right now. I want, you, I want you briefly to tell me what happens to Brady. Do you think the Bucs <laughs> get better? Do you think his numbers get better? Um, and and I, I think, personally, if there was ever to be one last resurgent year out of Gurley, this would be the one. You know, before he gets hurt again, in this offense, and I like the Hurst move too. I, I don't like Hooper to Cleveland because I think people just go to Cleveland and they die. Um, but I think Hurst in this role, he was possibly supposed to be better than Mark Andrews on Baltimore. Then Mark Andrews broke out of nowhere. Um, but I think Hurst and his Atlanta offense, the offense has never been, never been a problem. You like Ridley for that same reason. If Gurley is healthy, just go back a couple of years. Dude was. Blowing through everybody, he's gonna get that goal line work. If Atlanta's moving the ball and their defense is as bad as it was, but we talked about it on the series show a couple of weeks ago, and we're like, everybody hit us up. He's gonna get hurt. He's got a bad knee. We know this, but what's your take on Gurley? What's your take on Brady? And you know, if you got a take on on the Patriots, are they gonna stay with Sidham? Are they gonna go after somebody in the draft? Are they gonna make a move and maybe go grab? Which I don't think is gonna happen. A Cam or Jameis. What's your take on these these? these questions that are still out there for, for this season?
1: Yeah. So first on Brady, look, the Bucks are in a pretty good position. Their defense quietly took a really big leap forward last year. Just having Barrett, JPP, Sue on that defensive line, they were able to get good pressure and, you know, their secondary still isn't there yet, but they have been good about drafting a bunch of cornerbacks over the last few years. We're finally seeing guys like Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean starting to make some plays. So, uh, you know, you got Levante, David, Devin White in the middle. There's finally a good amount of talent on this Tampa Bay defense. It's just tough, man. I mean, I don't think the Bucks are any better necessarily or, any, or a better Super Bowl bet than the Indianapolis Colts. I just think that both teams, you're taking an aging quarterback, putting them in a new system. You theoretically got the weapons. I, I think obviously the Buccaneers have much better skill position players than the Colts, but the Colts' offensive line is much better, I think, than the Buccaneers. Defenses are both – Talented, but a little bit unproven. So it's interesting. The, the problem is, like, I just – I don't think Brady at this point of his career is good enough to kind of rise a lesser team like the Buccaneers over a better overall team like the Saints. Brady wasn't washed last year. It's not like that Tennessee game was just him missing one open wide receiver after another or anything like that. But that said, I mean, this is still pretty much back-to-back seasons that we've seen Brady just not have that same elite ceiling we got, got used to seeing. We did not, as a collective community, give nearly enough, uh, I guess, thought process to the fact that Gronk was leaving. Brady without Gronk in his career has just been a big drop-off. That's fine. A lot of players, a lot of quarterbacks aren't as good when they lose their number one target, especially when that number one target's the greatest tight end of all time. So, uh, you know, yeah, Brady, he's got a lot of talent now, but... uh, Look, when quarterbacks, when players go to new offenses, it usually takes time to kind of get going on that. So I am fading the Tampa Bay Buccaneers-Brady Super Bowl hype. It could be fine. They can make the playoffs. I think Chris Goblin is the best receiver to own, best player in that offense. Just his underneath slot work is going to mesh better with Brady than Evan's vertical uh, goodness. But I just think, you know, for all the hype the Buccaneers are receiving, I think the Colts are in a similar situation, not getting as much hype. On Gurley real quick, I think Gurley and David Johnson are in the same position. They're two mid-20 running backs that we're all treating like they're late-30 running backs that, you know, yeah, injuries haven't been great, but it's also not like we have just consistent seasons of, like, five or less games being played. And both guys are in offenses where we can reasonably predict them to most likely get three-down rolls, especially David Johnson. I think he's the cheapest three-down back available in fantasy right now. My one concern with Gurley is that, look, like Devontae Freeman, he didn't have a three-down role in Atlanta over these last few years. He was splitting with Tevin Coleman. Last year he was splitting with Edo Smith and then Brian Hill after Edo got hurt. I mean, Atlanta likes to use a committee running back system. Gurley's going to be the 1A for sure. I mean, I think we're thinking 60% snaps, you know, 15 to 18 touches per game. But, you know, he was getting fed in Los Angeles. He has the most rushing touchdowns over the last two seasons of anyone. A lot of that was just undisputed kind of bell cow getting those short touchdowns. So good on Gurley. I think with how low his average draft position is, like it's fine. He's still a value uh, even with less touches because of the lower ADP. But I think David Johnson, again, if we're just chasing opportunity uh, slightly higher than Gurley, I agree with you with Hurst. I just wouldn't expect Austin Hooper production. If you look at Hooper's like just splits throughout his career, overwhelming amount of yardage has come when the falcons are trailing i'm not saying they won't be trailing in 2020 again but like the falcons the falcons were not leaving their game plan meetings last season going hey you know ridley julio you guys take a step back this week we're just going to focus on austin hooper they get behind two scores and he was their guy in the middle of the field roping in check down after check down so i'm not trying to hate on austin hooper he's a very good real life tight end but the idea that you know the falcons are just going to be this uh, you know, haven for amazing fantasy-friendly tight ends. I'm not buying. And also the Patriots. Yeah, man, get Cam Newton in there, please. I think the thing with Cam, everyone's kind of like, why is no one signing Cam yet? I mean, it's just we've heard again and again how hard it is for teams to conduct physicals right now. So that's
0: what it I would, is.
1: Man. Yeah. So I, I find it hard to believe no one's gonna give him a true shot at some point. I hope it's the Patriots. I mean, I, I, I wanted Jameis the Patriots for for pure comedy sakes, like not. Screw the on-field fit. I just want to see Bill Belichick's face after, you know, his third boneheaded interception of the first half. So, I think gun to my head, I pick Stidham to be the week one starter. But, man, if Tua starts sliding in that draft, I mean, look out. Because, you know, Bill Belichick, I don't think he's going to waste more than one year without someone he feels like he can win with.
0: Yeah, I like that take. I like a lot of those takes. And the tilting factor of playing – the Falcons in DFS are going to be crazy. So the weeks you play Julio, it's going to be Gurley. The weeks you play Gurley, it's going to be Ridley. It's going to be tough to pick because there's a lot of mouths to feed right now. Um, I like your take on David Johnson as far as the opportunities go. And I always mess around with my friends. I'm like, yo, if you can redraft – hey, I'll play the game with you right now. You can redraft the NFL right now. Who's the guy you're taking? First guy on your team. Uh, period?
1: Mom. Yeah, Period.
0: All right, see, I would take Belichick. That's my, my joke oh. I get everybody because <laughs> Belichick can turn anybody into gold. You know, he gets wide receivers that nobody wants, turns them into studs or semi-studs. He'll, he'll cut you for one – he'll draft you in the first round. You'll win, you know, Defensive Player of the Year or whatever the case may be and then drop you the next day because you missed a meeting and then slide somebody else in there that you didn't even think can do a role or do a job and then they go ahead and do their job. Belichick's a genius. I think you're right. I think if anybody's going to make some kind of risk, gamble, move, it'll probably be the Patriots, you know, whether they slide up and get to it, which I'm hearing some rumors. I don't know if they're just rumors. Cam and Jameis, I think it comes down to injuries. They both kind of have that injury tag on them right now, and you can't test them. And I think their draft's going to kind of rule out certain teams. And then, you know, there's a couple teams that still need quarterbacks. And you see Cam in the gym – I don't know which one I I would prefer, to be honest with you. They're kind of very similar in a sense, like a guy you probably don't want to coach, but has a lot of talent, but also makes a lot of mistakes. I would go Cam over Jameis just because he's been proven more, a little bit more as a winner. Um, So that's an interesting take there. Let me hear your predictions right now. What's your sleeper teams that you think maybe – can make a run that we should maybe make some prop bets on futures bets on. Cause that's the only thing we can really talk about right now as far as plays go. And then who's your AFC champion, NFC champion, um, team that makes the playoffs that people aren't really thinking about. And then your, give me your, your MVPs, your rookie of the years, guys like that.
1: Yeah. So when I was kind of going through these teams, especially before free agency, just trying to figure out team needs and going through the position groups and all that. The two teams that really stuck out to me even before free agency started that were just really, really complete at almost every position were the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, the Steelers, they went 8-8 eight and eight last season with absolute worst-case quarterback play. I mean, Roethlisberger threw for 5,000 yards in 2018. Yes, I-, I saw the picture where his beard, you know, down to his belly button. He doesn't look like he's in prime game shape or anything. It's risky to be banking on, you know, an aging quarterback like this, but got that defense. Juju, Deontay Johnson looks like a year two stud potentially. James Washington was doing his thing at the end of the year. Eric Ebron was a good add. I know he drops the ball, but guess what? He catches touchdowns too. Still got some running backs. There's rumors they're going to take someone like Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I know the Ravens are rightfully stealing noise in the AFC North, but Pittsburgh, if they go on a run, I think they have the offense and defense uh, to make a lot of noise. And really, same thing with the Bills. I mean, we saw last year, like, yeah, they lost to the Texans. That wasn't great. We saw Josh Allen, you know, chucking the ball over his head in one of the most important moments of the season. But, like, they have this ceiling to make noise and make a run. Joe freaking Flacco won a Super Bowl and went on an incredible four game run and got it done. Josh Allen can do that. I wouldn't bet my life that he will. I mean, I'm saying take the Steelers over the Bills, take several teams over the Bills. But again, All three levels of defense, very good. Uh, Second year of their O-line, they have all five offensive line starters back. That's huge. Adding Stephon Diggs, now John Brown and Cole Beasley are extremely overqualified, number two and number three receivers. Devin Devin Singletary and Dawson Knock. I mean, they have good pieces everywhere on that Buffalo team. I really like uh, what they're doing there. As far as picks, AFC, NFC, um, I just talked about those guys. I do like the Ravens and Chiefs more than both of them, so I'm not going too far. Uh, off the chalk there, I got Chiefs over the Ravens. I'm just not betting against Mahomes when the only thing we've seen stop the guys an ill-timed off-size penalty and pretty much two years of action. And NFC, after the Saints, man, I'm just looking at the Eagles, and I don't know who's really a more complete team. You know, I know the 49ers fans are going to be up in an uproar, but at the same time, like, we, we've seen Jimmy G. He needs everything to be perfect around him in order for him to be, like, an above-average to very good quarterback. We've seen Wentz just play like an MVP level before. And anytime you see that, I mean, that's in their range of outcomes now. It's not like, uh, you know, a situation with someone where we're predicting them to make a leap. We've seen Wentz play at the level we need a quarterback to play out to drag their team to a Super Bowl. What's been the Eagles' problem over the year? They cannot stop number one wide receivers pretty much ever. Adding Darius Slay, Nikkel Roby Coleman. They even helped boost the defensive line with Javon Hargrave. Love the Eagles defense and their offense. I think they're going to add another day one or day two receiver. Assuming Deshaun Jackson, and Alshon Jeffrey don't just randomly miss all 16 games with injuries. All of a sudden you got a nice little offense. Cause you still got Sanders, Ertz and Goddard. I saw dudes there. So gun to my head, I would go chiefs over saints in the uh, 2020 super bowl um, picks for rookie of the year. It's just going to depend on this landing spot, man. I mean, any, any of these top five running backs, if the Chiefs decide to grab one at the end of the first round, like they're instantly going to be the number one, uh, the number one guy that everyone's even talking about. I will say, um, Graham Barfield, who uh, is just awesome, awesome analyst. Uh, he's he's saying Clyde edwards uh, Hilaire from LSU, best pass catching, best catch. Oh my gosh, best pass catching back he's seen it's coming out since Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that's a huge compliment. Clyde did catch, I think, 50-plus balls at LSU last season. If we're looking at running backs right now, uh, again, it's going to depend where they go. If they get that three-down roll, if they get enough touches to even be considered a rookie of the year candidate. But if I'm looking right now, I mean, that's an undervalued guy that we know can theoretically play on all three downs. Um, And then for MVP, ooh, I really like – oh, I got a good MVP bet for you. Matthew Stafford. (laughs) <laughs> the Lions,
0: uh, you got go deep here. Tell me how the Lions are going to make the playoffs first because you can't win the MVP without making the playoffs,
1: right? Well, yeah, but why are they not going to – everyone just goes, they're the Lions, they're not going to make the playoffs. Hmm. Well, that, 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 that's everyone's answer to it. And, you know, okay, we'll I'm see. I'm a fan.
0: I think he gets a bad rap. I think he's got the best – one of the best arms in the league. So I, I can get behind Stafford, but sell me on the Lions as an overall team because that, that's my my stumbling block right there.
1: So after eight weeks, Stafford played eight games last year, broke his back. Now, we're we're taking a leap of faith that a 30-something quarterback coming off a broken back is going to be okay. So I understand you got to take a leap there. But, I mean, think about those lines. I think they were three, four, and one after those games. They had the Green Bay robbery early in the year. That was just a – should have been a blatant win. They had that Chiefs game where they fumbled on the one-yard line, got taken back. They should have won that Chiefs game. Should have, would have, could have – the Lions were playing in the first half of last year at a playoff level. Stafford, any MVP debate was Stafford, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson at that point. Stafford set career highs in everything in his first year with Daryl Bevel. It was amazing. You know, you take Golden Tate and Theo Rittick out of the offense, you turn those 150 checkdowns a year into bombs to Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, good things happen. Whole crew's back. Uh, ideally, the offensive line gets a little better, you know, it's, that's a little bit of an issue. We need to be better with, with Stafford. I'm, I get it. But on defense, you know, we always talk about how oh, these, you know, every time there's a great defense, you well, oh, defense, you know, year to year is not that consistent, particularly turnovers. If there is like offense versus defense, I think we can reasonably expect a bad defense to go from good, much more than we could say on the other side of the ball. And, you know, we did see them throw, you know, a lot of money at different guys around the league, a lot of former Patriots. They should know Matt Patricia's system well enough. I mean, you know, if the Lions are 1-6 to start the year, you know, it's another typical Lions year. I get it. But the way Stafford played last year, I mean, if you got a quarterback playing like a top-five quarterback, don't just write off that team. And that's what Stafford was last year.
0: I like that call. I'm always – like I said, I always got behind Stafford. I think he got a bad rap, never really had a good team or a complete team around mm-hmm. him. You know, he had those early years where he looked, you know, like amazing. He looked like a, a more mobile Ben Roethlisberger. That's the way I kind of see him. Kind of the same nice. build. Same kind of arm, but he can run around a little bit more. Just as tough, but he's never had a, a complete team, offense, defense, running back. I don't know if he ever had a running back when I can remember, but you know, they got some holes there. But I like the call. I hope the Ravens get Lamar Jackson a receiver. It's been shocking to me. There hasn't been that many great wide receivers in free agency. I hope they – I know it's a wide receiver heavy draft. I know the Ravens are smart, um, you know, with their management. I think they got to get him some help because – that dude's got so much talent. He won the MVP of course, but he did it with no receiving core. They had Mark Andrews as their best receiver and you know him running the ball. Those numbers from a from a running potential is just off the charts. Um what's your goal going into the season from a from a DFS perspective? I know you're you're so focused on the back end and you're so smart and you're so analytical. What do you have a goal coming up for this season? How much money do you want to win or what do you want to achieve in DFS or season longs or best balls? What's your goal for this upcoming season?
1: I don't really have a financial goal with it. I'm trying to perfect my process year after year. Um, and and in doing that, you know, me being full time with RotoWorld and, you know, NFL, it, I'm trying to pretty much learn every single thing I think I need to know about a slate every single week. I'm trying to do that uh, while writing. And, you know, I, I want everything to layer on top of each other. Everything I tweet out is almost always an idea I get as I'm writing an article, you know, again, I think just the act of writing out your thoughts helps a lot. Even before like, I know, I know some people just stick to podcasts. That's fine. But if you're going to podcast, like still, I think it's just useful if you have a general idea of what you're going to be talking about, write out a few bullets, see what comes to your mind, see where your mind goes, what ideas you have. So um, I, going to last year, it was tricky for me because I just switched jobs in August. So I didn't have like a, I wasn't familiar enough with uh, kind of my new surroundings and stuff to kind of do the whole process I wanted to implement in the season. But for me, I got a quarterback article. I want to kind of do three quick notes on everyone. On that Monday, my running back breakdown where I go through every single backfield Tuesday, wide receiver quarterback breakdown that, you know, again, I don't want to jerk myself off, but I do feel like it's the best, you know, in the business if you want to learn about wide receiver quarterbacks. That's out Wednesday, matchup manifesto where I'm looking more, broad team, uh, higher level stuff. That's Thursday. And then, you know, we talked about my helicopter earlier. I want to do a new article on, on Friday that goes through my four or five players that I'm considering for the helicopter. Give a couple paragraphs about why I consider them to be, you know, this five check mark pick, why everything's lining up for them, and why you should play them. So I really just want, my goal is that if there's someone out there that, you know, feels that I'm their favorite analyst and they really like reading my stuff, If they don't pay attention to anyone other than me, I want them to be, you know, among the top 1% most informed football fans, DFS players, whatever it might be in the world. So close I can get to that.
0: I keep on trying to ask you for your personal goals, and it's just you want to help people and you want to do it your way and have your process, which I can really respect. You're not not an eye guy. You're more of a team guy, Mm -hmm. and that's why you've been really successful with what you've done. So I think a lot of people can learn from that. And you've kind of been, you know, portraying that the whole entire time. You know, I wish one day you'll be on our team and you could be writing for us and helping our guys out. I'm going to take some stuff from this this interview because sometimes during the season I'm running Win daily. I'm contr- you know, in control of 20 different guys writing all this content and podcasts and videos. And we have projection models and all this other stuff going through that I don't write. But I always look back because I write for USA Today. So I was writing for their website. Um, I don't even write for our own website sometimes, but I write for them because they ask me to do an article. And I write that article like on Tuesday or Wednesday, submit it to them. And by Sunday, I usually forget about writing that article. And then on Monday, I go back. I'm like, why didn't I listen to myself? (laughs) Because you get this information on Tuesday and Wednesday and you forget what you even wrote. And then by Sunday, I read your article. I read somebody else's article. I read all of our guys' article. We have a Discord chat, an expert chat that we're helping people out. And there's so much information that, it's it's tough for me sometimes to kind of figure out was I right on Wednesday or am I right Sunday morning when the, the gun's to my head and I gotta lock somebody in at sixty percent of my lineups. That information changes so much from day to day and these conflicting reports that you all right, they're gonna they're gonna give him more, you know, target share or they're gonna put him on the field for sixty percent of the snaps or this defense is gonna this guy's hurt. Like, the, the injury status one always throws me for a loop because yeah. there's so many times, oh, he hasn't practiced all week, and then he goes out there and he has his best game of his career. Like, so when was he injured all week long? How do you <laughs> how do you figure that out? Like, I would love to read an article from somebody who's really close enough to decipher Coach Talk. I think that's, like, the one oh, yeah. thing that, like, if you could write an article, Coach Talk, I would put it up on a site in a heartbeat, like, what did Belichick really mean when he said this? Like, is there prior history when a coach says this? Does he really mean that? Or is he just really playing chess with the other with the other team? Like, that's the part that I can never really decipher, you know, because there's so much information. When is too much information too much information? Sometimes I go in my gut usually, and that's when I'm usually the most right when I come off my gut plays. Whether I researched it or I watched something on film or I, I read your article, I'm like, you know what? Well, you made a really good statement here, and I really believe it, and it's the right statement. Trying to hone in on that gut feel is is always a challenge for me, and I think a lot of people challenge with that. Is like, how do you lock into that one play when you know ownership's a good thing, but it's also scary when you know you're you're on the five percent side and everybody's on somebody else. You know, whether you're on Galladay and everybody's on, say Saquon that day, whoever it is, it's tough to say no. I'm going to go against the pack, even though you're feeling it. It's a tough decision to make, you know, when you got a lot of money at risk. So that's the thing that I would love to understand, like, when to trust your gut and what are these coaches really saying?
1: So one thing I've really learned, like I think it was maybe 2016 or so, Aaron Rodgers got hurt and Brett Hundley was coming in to be their quarterback. And I went through, I watched every single pass Hundley had thrown in the NFL, read his old, you know, NFL Combine stuff, scouting report, all that and I was like, this guy is not it. I'm out on Brett Hundley. And you know this works. Like when a quarterback goes down and you get the back up, they're 4,500 or whatever on DraftKings. Like they're going to be chalky. So it's a very big decision you got to make if you want to eat that or if you want to fade it. And in this instance, I was right. But the problem was I doubted myself. I ended up having Hundley exposure because really smart guys I work with that I respected, that I still respect, right. were in on him. But once I missed that, I was like, I don't want to be wrong because I didn't trust myself. I'm – if I'm wrong, you know, I trusted myself. At the very least, I can figure out why I was wrong, improve that part of the process, and hopefully get better in the future. Man, like this last season, I took it to the most extreme yet. Yeah, like I, I literally read and listened to under five like podcasts or read. I, I don't read other people's stuff because I, again, I got to put in the work. So if I'm not going to read other people's stuff, I better, you know, look under every single rock there is, look at every snap count, watch every single play you know, try to do every single thing, but it keeps my head clear when that's happening. So when I'm trying to make a decision on something, I don't have five other opinions jumping around in my head is from someone else. So it's tricky. I do agree with you. I think you got to go with your gut to an extent, just try to do everything you can to supply your gut with the most information possible. And if you can avoid, uh, you know, having contrasting opinions, uh, that's all the better. I realize I'm blessed to be a full-time NFL writer. Not everyone has the time to do all this stuff, obviously. So my suggestion would just be, you know, don't read 10 rankings columns and kind of digest all that information. Try to learn, who, who do you think is the best? If you think, you know, that Evan Silva is the best writer out there, like, read Evan's stuff, focus on that. If you disagree, that's fine. At the very least, at least you're only, you know, you're working with your opinion, his opinion. I think just trying to keep that condensed so you can get better in the future will help. Cause if you just keep, if you just keep trying to latch on to someone else, that's going to lead you to the promised land. It's, it's again, you're, now you're short term. It's just not going to work out the way it will. So it's tricky, but trust yourself. And again, just try to surround yourself with good people and good information.
0: Yeah, no, that's the way to go, man. Like I have to retrain myself every year, every day because you fall for the trap. You know, sometimes you don't have enough time so you got to rely on somebody else. Sometimes they sell a good story. You know, they, they really get the facts there and the facts are probably there and they made sense. And every year I got to train myself. I'm like, I rather, like you said, I, I, say it to myself all the time. I rather lose my own money with my own picks rather than lose money based off your picks and then be like, right on my picks. There's nothing worse than being right and not playing it and playing somebody else as being, being wrong. And then he's going to eat away yourself for the rest of the week. And that's a terrible (laughs) feeling. So I can definitely get behind that. Uh, It's it's
1: funny when, you know, when I miss on a player song, when I send a helicopter out and the thing comes back down in flames and (laughs) everyone's like, what's going on? It's like, yeah, this hurts. I've had weeks where I have a great DFS week. I went all my season long games and I'm like going to bed pissed off cause I didn't get my, you know, plays. I sent out my articles to the people. Right. So, you know, it's, it's annoying. The reality of this business is you're going to be wrong a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's why I just, all you can do is try to have the smart process. And, you know, I, my first year out of college, you know, I was, you know, going through consulting, which I know a lot of people do, and it's a good business, good money, all that. But I just hated it. I hate being in an office. I hate small talk. I hate not being able to get my job done because you got to go to some meaningless meeting. And, you know, every day that's like, oh, I got to write this article again. Oh, I got to do this. We're working in sports, man. I mean, this is, this is so good. It's so much better than so many other jobs in terms of this day-to-day lifestyle. Uh, keep grinding and just, I guess, know that it could be a lot worse.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I think this quarantine kind of helps for that, too. I think I, I hope at least that a lot of people realize that Maybe you don't need all the flashy stuff. Maybe you can take a pay cut. Maybe you can find something that you can – whether you do it from home or you do it on your own, I think that's a big thing. Like, So this win daily mindset that I wrote the book about and the whole team about, and we want we want good people around us, number one. But this mindset of taking these small victories and turning into a positive. So, yeah, it's terrible right now. The whole world is on lockdown. I'm, I live in New York. Everything's on lockdown in New York. I've barely gone outside. I haven't seen another person but my wife and daughter in the past month and a half, but I could be bitching about it. I could be whining about it, but I'm really positive about it. I'm like, this is an awesome opportunity. I'll never get this chance again with my daughter or my wife to spend pretty much every waking moment with them. All these other people that I came in contact with, yeah, some of my boys I miss. I I miss playing softball. I miss going outside obviously, but you know, I, I think it's a blessing, man. I think it's a real good opportunity for everybody. Everybody hit the pause button right now, right? What are you yeah, doing man. with that pause button? A lot of people I speak to, they're bitching and they're whining about, oh, my kid's this, or, oh, I, I got to go do this, and I missed that. I'm like, this is a blessing, man. I get to sit home and do what I want to do, things that I couldn't get done before. I'm still not working out. I finally realized <laughs> that it's just not a priority. Like, I'm not in any way, shape, or form, like, putting it as a priority. I always used to say it's an excuse because I don't have enough time. Now all I have is time. <laughs> I got a treadmill behind me. I got a dip bar over there, dumbbells, and I maybe spent maybe like four percent of my time on quarantine doing something physical outside of walking. So it's an excuse. I know it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll swallow it and understand it. And I got to make the change. I got to make it a priority. But you know that win daily mindset is taking victories even in your defeats. Like as DFS players are writers, we're going to be wrong just as much as we're right, you know, yeah. but what do we learn from it? And, you know, even a misstep, it's a lesson. If you can take something from it, it's really a lesson. That's, that's my mindset on everything. I'm always looking at the positive, even when some terrible shit happens to me in life, you know, when we started this business, win daily, I'll put it out there. Like six months into it, we're in the baseball season. And my developer just ghosted me and I have no technical skills to develop a website and deal with, Customer complaints, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, for a good 24 hour run, I was like having a heart attack. I'm like, yo, what are we going to do when people have problems on the site? Like, I don't know how to run our projection models to get it to be, you know, post on the site. But I overcame it, sat down, talked to a couple other people. I have probably a thousand times better developer now than I had before. That 24 hours where I was freaking out, like, what am I going to do? I could have crawled up in a bar, in a ball, and like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm shutting down. I don't have anything right now. But you gotta look at the positive, and it opened up a door to huge opportunities. So like right now, so many people are gonna lose their job or are gonna be laid off, and the people that come out of it with the right mindset, they're gonna walk into bigger opportunities, better opportunities. So when I think about Win Daily, it's that type of mindset. And I see you have a lot of the way you're talking about team, process, not really. You know, judging yourself based on the results from that day, but more about the process, you already have it. But what do you, what is your mindset if you had a win daily mindset or, or you thought about it? What is your mindset that you kind of carry that's made you successful in life?
1: Yeah, two uh, books I've read that really hung with me over the last few years was one extreme ownership, which I think has a lot of similarities to kind of the mindset you were thinking about where, like, look, there's gonna be terrible stuff everything that's happening right now is terrible and unpredictable and the people that are losing their jobs because of it, it's in almost every case, I, like there's nothing they could do about it. I get that shit happens, but the more you can just look at situations and say, what could I have done better and take that extreme ownership and just even go through that process. It just helps when, you know, when your friend owes you money and they freaking don't pay you the money and you got that instead of being mad at that person for two days and doing nothing except bitching. You know, okay, nothing gets accomplished with that. Instead, maybe think, okay, how can I avoid something like this in the future? You know, I just I think you learn to kind of prioritize what's important to you when you look at every decision you make and kind of see whether or not, uh, you know, if it's something that, again, you truly believe is just helping you move in the right direction so I say extreme ownership there's another book just called learning how to not give a fuck because uh, it was a good point in the book and it was like you know we have this idea in our minds that you know we work really hard make a bunch of money we can go sit on some island for 30 years in vacation and live out the rest of our life it doesn't exist that's fake we are conditioned and created to have problems like even the richest celebrities in the world you know more money more problems like there's no one in this world you know there's that just got enough money. And they said, okay, great. Now I'm just never going to be upset again. I'm never going to have any other issues arise in my life. We're going to have problems. We're going to have issues. We're going to have annoyances. Just do everything you can to try to make those problems, issues, annoyances like manageable and doable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that my problem a lot of days is like, Oh man, you know, today I got to get up by 10 AM to get ready for that 10:30 podcast, something like that. I mean, but just, You know, I I would find myself getting pissed off about things, you know, whether it's a girlfriend or this or that, and I'd stop myself and I'm just like, this is stupid. What am I even, why am I wasting my energy on this? So, you know, learn kind of how to not give a fuck because everyone has problems. We're going to keep having problems. You can be the best at whatever you're doing and life is still going to suck sometimes. So, you know, maybe that's a negative way of looking at it, but I try to spin it positively. So, yeah, man, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to working hard because if you're not working hard then you're going to be wondering, what
0: if? Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of those things you say, they're in my mind too, man. The harder you work, I believe the luckier you get. That's number one, hands down. I hate seeing people I consult for businesses. I hate people, oh, I, I'm not getting that promotion or I don't make enough money. And they do absolutely nothing about it. They don't fix their resume go elsewhere. They don't work harder. You know what they usually do? They work less and bitch more. So that's what usually happens. And then what I find really funny is I tell people, hey, yo, check out this podcast. It really helped me. Right. And I feel like I'm on this level. I'll ask people above me, yo, check it out. They don't do it. I ask people below me, check it out. They won't do it. Read this book. No. It's like one out of 10 actually want to better their lives. And everybody else says, no, I don't have time. They make up every excuse under the book. And it's like, yo, you drive to work, just throw it on your car. You can listen to it. There's books (laughs) that can read to you, but people don't want to listen to it or don't want to make those changes. And people are just lazy at the end of the day, man. Like you said it, like People say, oh, yeah, this is the best play. They looked at the rankings, and that's where they got their best plays from. Like, we have a guy, Nick, that's just he's watching those wide receiver cornerback matchups. He talks about all that stuff. And it's not surprising he had a massive year in NFL last year because dude was putting in more work than anybody else. So, you know, in regards to, you know, putting the work in anything, the results will come, man. And it's a long journey. Like, I thought the same way. Like, I want to retire by 30. Then I'm like – then I start – Talking to people who are older than me, like, like my grandfather, like, the worst thing I ever did was retire. I'm like, why? It's like every day, it's harder and harder to work, to wake up. Just simply wake up because he has nothing to wake up for. It's like, yeah. you know what I enjoy, Jay? Like, my highlight of my day now is driving around. I'm like, shit, that just got really real. <laughs> like, you don't want to be that guy because if you retire, and then I talked to my mentor and a couple other people, the best thing you can take from this is instead of retiring, you want to repurpose. So say, you know, after – say you got all the money you want. You want to repurpose your goals now. You know, somebody like you, you're going to end up being like a, a high school coach for football or something like that. I oh, see yeah. That. Yeah, that's going to happen pretty Love soon it. for you. You know, that's going to be like <laughs> in your next five years. Like when you got your money right, you got your family right, and you can focus some more free time on coaching kids, I, I can see that in your near future right there. You know, so like you got to repurpose. If you got the money, you got the wife and the family, okay, what can I do to mentor people or teach people or give back? To the industry that did so much for me, so I think that's what people don't see that repurposement of what you're doing. You need goals, like even if Win Daily makes zero dollars, but every day I wake up and my team is hungry and they're pushing forward and everybody's getting stronger and better. It's not really about the money, yeah. The money hopefully will come, the business will hopefully grow, everything will come with it. But that journey of waking up every day with a challenge, like, look, if I was on quarantine like anybody else and I didn't have something to be working on right now, I'd probably be bitching and crying too. Like, this is so boring. But right now I'm like, (laughs) yo, I'm working harder now than I did before because now I have every opportunity to do stuff that I want to do. But people, for some odd reason, they can't find that passion. Like you have with football or me having, running a business, stuff like that. Like now I just truly hope for those people. They, they find those things out. Like they, they sit down and say, you know what? I want to write a book or I, I want to, learn how to be a graphic designer, or I want to spend more time with my kids that weren't connected to me, whatever the case may be, they got to figure things out. And yeah, you, know, you, you're, you're a pretty young guy. I'm pretty young. We figured it out already. We know what we want to do, but willing to sacrifice things to get the shit done. And you're going to be successful with whatever, anything you touch, man. I really believe that, you know, I seen it from afar. Now speaking to you today, I believe it. I hope you're going to be on our team soon enough, you know, doing some NFL, <laughs> maybe do that Uh, coach talk, you know, column for us on, on Fridays or Saturdays, whatever it takes. But, you know, where can everybody follow you on Twitter so they can see these helicopters come out soon?
1: Yeah, appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk. But yeah, find me on Twitter at @ihart. iHeartItZ, I H A R T I T Z. Usually have around three columns up a week, uh, another couple podcasts, do some stuff on Periscope. Goal is a piece of content every day. So check me out there throughout the season. And thanks, man. Next for having me on. This is a bunch of fun.
0: All right, man, I'll talk to you soon, man. It's been the Win Daily Show, and we'll be back with another one really soon.